0: Hey there, welcome to night school. Saturday night school. Here in the morning with a second cup of coffee going. Yeah, what I'm thinking about right now is, you know how whether or not you're ready to die at any given time, and that's such a difficult idea to talk about because uh, we think of it as, oh, I haven't, I haven't completed everything on my bucket list. I haven't done everything on my bucket list. I'm not ready to die. You know, I personally don't have a bucket list. Like, There's always things that I want to do. There are always things I want to improve upon. But I've never really had a bucket list. I've never really had a list of things, definite places I want to go or things I want to do. I feel like I've always just kind of had certain things I'm interested in and I want to continue pursuing those. But there were points in my life previously where... I was always feeling like, oh, I just need to finish this one thing. I don't want to die yet. It's actually amazing how motivated I was, or not motivated, but how motivated, how much of my motivation was focused around, like, I want to finish this before I die. I want this project to be done before I die. And there was an actual fear of death in that. I was actually afraid that I wouldn't finish this one thing that would be definitive of me. And it could be personal, it could be, you know, artistic, it could be any number of things, whatever it was that I was focused on at that time, that was of personal value. You know, I never felt that way at a job, like, oh my God, I got to finish this project for the boss, or I'm not going to be happy when I die. You know, I've never felt that way. And that's actually a good measuring stick for what actually matters to you. I mean, because some people, uh, if I die a virgin, I'm going to, if I die a virgin, it's a wasted life. You know, I think some people, that's what I always say about incels. It's like, you know, or especially virgin incels, because I think that distinction needs to be made. It's like, you probably just need to get over the, dare I say, hump. You just need to gain the confidence of going through that. And then you might realize that that thing isn't that important because it's often the thing that you can't get. That you're preoccupied with. And once you get it, you realize that it may not even be that important to you. Um, but, uh, you know, it, many things work that way where it's like you, you're preoccupied with this thing that is elusive to you and you think that everything depends on it. And it's not that that thing doesn't matter. Like it would suck to still be a virgin. But you need to get over that in order to realize that, oh, yeah, being constant being in this constant state of lechery and, and needing to be validated by like constant physical you know pleasure, not that it's limited to that, but still it's just to have your life revolve around that you know isn't the way either. but you'd also don't want to be somebody who's been completely deprived of that and deprived by your own hand, you know because it's often your own doing. Uh, but it's the same thing with like anything, you know, that's on your your list of things that you know you want to do to feel like a complete human. And for some people, like they have this bucket list of like, oh, God, I, if I die before I go to Paris, you know, life was, wasn't worth it. And I Bucket lists are stupid. <laughs> you know, I think I, I, whenever I hear, I mean, even just the phrase, the phrase bucket list is stupid to me. But I don't know, whenever I hear someone talk about their bucket list, like, I'm glad people have goals. But it also, I don't know, you know, I just don't live that way. And, you know, I live according to my own system and values, so I wouldn't tell someone not to have that list. But it's like I, more and more in my life has become like, it's okay if I die tonight. Uh, you know, it's okay. I don't feel that I would have left anything on the table, even though there are many more things that I want to do, even not just things that might come up that are worth doing, but there's things that I could actually, like if you if you you've put a gun to my head and said, write a bucket list, I'm going to kill you if you don't make a bucket list right now. I could guarantee you I can write something out. I could write goals out. I could write places I want to go, things I want to accomplish, because as far as I'm concerned, I'll, I'll live this life out. I'll live this life out to whatever extent my body and mind allow me to. So, you know, of course there are things that I want to do. Because if you don't have those things, why would you want to live? Uh, But that said, it's not like I can organize them. I think it's for the same reason that I I was talking recently about how I don't like these, like, lists of superlatives. Oh, these are my top ten. Uh, you want to know what my top ten favorite movies were this year? It's like that is very foreign to me. And anytime I've had to do that, it's very forced. It's pseudoscience. Top ten lists are pseudoscience.
1: Um, but yeah, anytime that I've had to do that, it's the same thing. It's like a top ten list. Here's my top ten favorite movie. Here's my top ten favorite movies of 2019. And uh, here's my top ten favorite things that I haven't gotten to do yet, and if I don't do them before I die, my life will have sucked,
0: it's all the same thing to me, these lists, not that there's anything wrong with lists, but just, I don't know, they always, they all kind of sit in the same place in my brain, where I'm like, you know, yeah, if that works for you, it works for you, but I'm just not a fan of those, and to me, they take away from my own contentment, uh, and and i think it kind of plays into what i was talking about in the tinder episode the other day which i you know i missed an opportunity there given like when i was talk- i was talking about the bon jovi synchronicity and all of that you know i named that episode saying a tinder prayer i i missed an opportunity to name the episode living on a tinder prayer it would have tied everything together but sometimes you don't notice these things until later Sometimes you don't notice, uh, you know, and puns are stupid. <laughs> Top ten lists are stupid. Puns are stupid. Um, but uh, no, I missed an opportunity there to name the episode Living on a Tinder Prayer. But, you know, I, I'm aware of it now. But it kind of plays into that episode because I think about those experiences where, you know, like going to South Korea. Certainly not on my bucket list. Oh, my bucket list it involved going to South Korea. South Korea. South career? (laughs) What's a south career? Uh, But no, you know, that that never would have been on my bucket list, yet that was an essential life experience. That was an essential thing that I did, and my life wouldn't be the same without it, for reasons that I can't define. So how do you fit that onto a bucket list? Is your bucket list, is your true bucket list something where you look back Is it not something where you're looking forward to the future, but something where you look back and you say, oh, these were the essential events. And some of them were just, I took a trip around the world on a whim and learned a lot, learned a lot about myself, went through a process. You know, I think in many cases that's how it works. The things that you look back on are your bucket list rather than the things that are on your, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. I mean, sure, I have things. I would love to go to Scandinavia someday. You know, I've been to the British Isles. I think it's essential that I go to my ancestral homeland of Sweden, for example. I don't think I'm going to feel deprived if I don't do it, though. And I recognize, too, that even if I went there, I might be disappointed. I don't think I would be. I don't think my expectations are unrealistic for what that place is like. But at the same time, if I made a a quote-unquote bucket list where Sweden going to Sweden someday was at the top, or going to Norway, going to these places, going to Scandinavia, I very well might create a false expectation of it. In the same way that a virgin might create a false expectation out of what sex is. You know, it's, uh, I think it's kind of similar in that way. But I do think that, yeah, if you're going to have some list of essential life events that give your your life the meaning you desperately crave. I think that's something you can only look at in retrospect. And often those events come from, they appear. Those those events appear as opportunities kind of out of nowhere. They're not things that you could have planned or structured. And maybe they are for somebody else. You know, maybe it is. Like, I mean, I'm always willing, I feel like a, a broken record here in that I'm always like, whatever works for you, preach what you need, you know, And I believe that, but I I don't know. I also see where people I know who are like that seem to be constantly hungry and not hungry in a good way because there's a good hunger. Like for me, like when you've eaten well all day and exercised and you feel a certain hunger at the end of the night and you don't give in to a late-night snack, that is a good hunger. Because you're like, I know that I'm I know that I'm not starving. I know that I fed myself properly and I ate healthy food today. But now that it's the end of the night, I mean, you want to go to bed a little bit hungry. You always want to go to bed a little bit hungry. It's good for your body. You don't want to go to, I mean, it's why they say like eat at least three hours before bed. So when you feel that hunger before bed, you're probably going to sleep better. I don't know what the science says, but you're probably going to sleep better. It's like in uh, a Christmas Carol when, uh, when Scrooge sees the first ghost, the ghost of Christmas Past, he's like, "You're you're a dab of mustard, a a piece of cheese." He's accusing the ghost of being like a hallucination derived from like the food he ate, <laughs> and that's that's where my science comes from. My science comes from a random line. In a Christmas carol that Scrooge says. But I think there's something to that. Where it's like if you eat too close to the time you go to bed. That's going to impact you, your um, your dream state. I don't know. It's going to impact how you feel for sure when you wake up. I mean there's one of the worst feelings in the world to me. Is when you wake up still full. When you go through eight hours of sleep. And you, you wake because you overate the night before. And you still feel full when you wake up. Because the other side of the good hunger is going to bed hungry, first of all, but after a day of being well-fed and exercising. That, to me, is a supreme hunger. Uh, but then when you wake up, too, and you, fa- you finish your fast, if you do that, I mean, even if you don't do intermittent fasting, you know, uh, you want to eat in the morning when you're hungry, um, which is another reason why you want to wake up hungry. Or become hungry in the morning because it's so satisfying to eat breakfast. Like if you do intermittent fasting, it's so satisfying to have your first meal of the day. Again, it's a good hunger because you know it's going to be satisfied. Uh, and Just to, to re- reverse on that tangent, you know, it's, it's why like some people though are hungry about everything. They're hungry all the time and they feel like their life is going to suck if they don't do certain things. I mean, I've known people, I had a girlfriend once who had like these elaborate fantasies. And uh, she's a sweet person, but it was it was weird because at the time I just had to kind of nod my head. But it was like she had these very definite ideas of how her life was going to go. And it was like, I'm going to be, uh, it, it was really specific, it was oddly specific. It was like, I'm going to get married at the end of my undergraduate and then I'm going to go to grad school, and, and, I, and I'm going to be, like, studying to get this very specific job at this very specific place, and I'm going to be pregnant while I'm still in grad school. And it, it was like she had this fantasy of what it would be like to be pregnant at grad school while you're studying to get this very specific job. And I, I don't say this in a mean way, because I think her life has gone well, but none of it happened. And it, it was so finely tuned. It was so such a fine-tuned fantasy at the time. I just remember, like, because, like, she was telling me that because she wanted me to be a part of that fantasy. You know, she wanted our life to go in that direction. But it was just really strange to me at the time, and I had to just, because I wasn't going to sit there and say, that, that ain't going to happen, because I'm not that kind of person, realistically, even though I say things like top ten lists suck, bucket lists suck, even though I say things like that here the reality is if somebody's telling me their what they want their life to be like i'm not the person who's going to be an antagonist i'm not going to say that ain't you never going to do that uh, you know i'm not going to be that person who someone cites on american idol who told them they they couldn't live their dream i'm not going to tell someone they're not going to live their dream but i do remember listening to her talk about this and i'm just like that is such a a, a fine-tuned highly specific fantasy for where you want your life to go during this small window of time and as we know i mean there's all kinds of quotes about it there's clichés about it you know when you make plans god laughs you know things like that and and sure enough you know her life didn't do that didn't go in that direction and that's fine i'm sure you know i don't you know i don't know if she's happy or not you know i, I don't know but uh, uh i know that, that that didn't pan out and I think that's the risk you run when you have such a highly specific fantasy or some kind of bucket list for exactly how you want your life to go. Um, Gotta sit, my I gotta actually drink my my coffee here. Um, But uh, you know, that's I think that's one of the reasons why I try not to do that. You know, I think I don't know. There's some people who are Type A. You know, I think I'm type A in my own way, but I'm not type A in the sense where I'm like, oh, I've got a five-year plan, and here's exactly how it's going to go. Because some of those people accomplish that. Like, a true type A personality makes it happen. But a lot of people feel the pressure to have that kind of plan. And it denies opportunities. It denies adventure in some cases. Because there's something that people do, that I I see people do that are... um, they're like these manufactured adventures. It's like, oh, the summer between your uh, junior year and senior year of college, you're going to go to Africa and kiss a camel. You're going to go to Egypt and kiss a camel. And they're going to take a photo of it. You know what I mean? There's there's these kind of manufactured adventures that you do at certain points in your life. And I'm sure those are great. But if you've ever been on like a tour bus... You know, it's it's this sort of manufactured adventure, and I think there's something to that. Like when my family went to the British Isles when I was a teenager, we did take a tour bus around, and I think that was the right thing. It allowed us to see a lot more. It allowed us because we wanted to see the sites. You know, I think if you want to see the sites and you want to get historical information, it was kind of a, it was a historical tour. You know, and I think there's something to be said for that. But I don't think you can turn around and say, oh, you wouldn't believe the wild adventure I went on. It was, you know, you can't pretend that that's an adventure in the same way that an adventure is when it presents itself. Like when when an opportunity just presents itself in your life and you take it. And I've actually had very few of those, really. Like even though I believe in, you know, you can find adventure in your own backyard, I've had very few real traveling adventures in my life, which is probably why I just talk about the same ones over and over again. Uh, But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things, though, where, you know, there are certain like manufactured adventures we have, especially when, when we're young, especially if you're in the West, when you're in your late teens and early 20s, there are these sort of manufactured experiences you have. And while it's an experience and it's cool and you take photos and you see things you never would have seen they are on kind of a rail they are on kind of a track and that's probably you know it's probably good for a lot of people that that's what they do and i'm certainly not some traveler you know i'm certainly not some traveler at all so i'm not coming from that place i'm just you know i'm i'm just speaking truth to power here <laughs> Um, but going back to the, this bucket list idea and dying, you know, I did used to operate way more in this way where it was like, I just got to get this one thing done or, or I'm not going to feel like I, my life is complete. Whereas now I feel like my life is complete. I haven't done everything I want to do by any means. I don't even know what I want to do. In addition to the things that I do know I want to do. Yet my life would feel complete if I died tonight. Because you don't want to die tonight feeling like your life is incomplete. And yeah, there are things that you might be in the middle of working on. And you don't want to not finish those things. I mean, but you never want to think about your legacy. I think thinking about your legacy is a bad idea. Thinking about your legacy is a good way to ruin your legacy or to stop yourself from even having a legacy. That's when you start to overthink. I mean, that's an impure state. And I've been thinking a lot about pure states because it goes back to inhabiting whatever it is you're doing. And this does tie into the whole life and death thing because, you know, people say live in the moment. live You got to live in the moment. You got to live in the moment. And, you know, there's a, there's a reason why people say that. But I feel like that cliche has become... I feel like the cliche of that statement has cast such a heavy shadow that it's difficult to put that into practice and it's not just that it's become such a cliche or platitude and the shadow of that platitude is so dark and and omnipresent cuz saying like oh I got to be in the moment I got to be in the moment you know if you tell yourself that it's harder to even get in the moment like if you distract yourself by like acknowledging that you're not in the moment and you have to force yourself into the moment you can't do that you can't force yourself to get into the moment so it's like even saying be in the moment out loud is removing yourself from the moment and then the fact that it's such a cliche you know it just it, there's a shadow you know and that's the it, that's really the issue with clichés while they're often true they become clichés because there is something true and easily understood about them or even if it's not easily understood it's like there is something epiphanous where when you understand that it makes total sense and it's so simple but the problem when something becomes a cliche or a platitude is it casts this shadow and you have to try to understand that cliche while not standing in that shadow Being in the moment is one of those, but I don't think it's just that it's a cliche. I think I was thinking about this. I think one of the issues with the idea of being in the moment and that statement is that the moment is so time oriented. And, you know, time is at the center of this whole episode where it's like everything about this episode is about people's anxiety over time. My bucket list its things that I want to have the time to do. Not just, the op- not just the opportunity, not just the chance, but I, I need to have time to do these things before I die. The clock is ticking, the hourglass is upside down, and the sand is fallen. You know, that's how people feel about it. So it's a time issue. And when you say be in the moment, what is the moment? The moment is a place in time. And when you're in the moment, when you actually are in the moment, you're not thinking about time when you're actually in a pure state, experiencing life, inhabiting whatever it is you're doing, you're not actually thinking about time at all. But when you hear that, put that way, when you hear the moment, you might as well be visited by the ghost of Christmas past, the gro- the gross of, uh, the grouse, <laughs> the grouse of Christmas present and, and the grouse of Christmas future, the gross you might as well be visited by all three ghosts in that moment. When you say, gotta be in the moment, gotta be in the moment, you know, whenever you think that, you might as well be visited by all the ghosts. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot more ghosts than those three. They just couldn't write them all into a, a story and have it be, you know, a one act or whatever that is. You know, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have had time, speaking of time, they wouldn't have had time to To show the Christmas carol on stage or in movies or TV if they showed all the different ghosts that'd inhabit time, and not just the ghosts that inhabit time, but all the ghosts that, repre- that are representatives of certain places in time, because I'll tell you what there's more than just those three, but you might as well be visited by them when you say, oh I got to be in the moment, I got to be in the moment, got to be in the moment, I gotta be in the moment." You might as well be visited by those ghosts in that moment. So getting away from time, I think a better way to think of it, rather than thinking of inhabiting a moment, I think it's better to think of yourself as simply inhabiting the activity you're doing. Inhabiting what you're doing. And it doesn't have to be an activity. It could be sitting there. Because the thing that I've become very aware of is that you know everything can be worthwhile or everything can, and anything can be a waste of time like sitting and doing nothing can be a worthwhile activity and not just when you're meditating because that that is doing something there is something deliberate obviously about meditation even if you're doing nothing even if you achieve a state where you're no longer thinking for 20 minutes you know it's you're still doing something it's still some form of activity it's organized in some way it's a discipline. Um, but uh, when you're just sitting, let's say you're not meditating, but you're just sitting doing nothing. You have a waiting room mentality and you're just sitting on the couch resting. You know, that can be worthwhile. Being bored can be worthwhile. But doing something that other people think is highly important can also be a waste of time. You, know, you think about creativity and drawing, and I can tell you myself as somebody who draws, sometimes drawing is a waste of time for me. Even though I'm a quote-unquote artist, and I drawing is an essential part of my life on Earth, on Earth, it's still this thing where I can sit there and draw a line, and I, I, could, I immediately can feel if it's a waste of my time. And is it truly a waste of your time? Probably, maybe not. Maybe you need to waste a little bit of your time because life is about contrasts. Sometimes you got to draw something you don't like in, or, in order to draw the thing you do like. Life has to be unenjoyable for you to enjoy it. Every story is a story of contrast. There has to be, you know, ups and downs. You can't exist in a pure state. You can't only do things you like. You know, that's obvious. You can't only do things you like. Otherwise, the things you like lose their definition. And, you you, you know, chances are you'll find something you don't like about the things you like if you lose sight of the things you actually don't like. So, you know, you could say there's something important to that process. Like, I'm glad that every time I do something creative, I don't sit down and feel completely happy with it. Because then when I do something that I enjoy, that I genuinely am proud of, I'm allowed to feel that way. Because how can you be proud of something that you do all the time? How can you be proud of something if you like everything you do and everything you are, everything you say? I mean, doing this show, which is a creative exercise, if I liked every episode I did or everything I said in a given episode, it'd be more difficult to, to feel happy when I express myself in a way that I actually like, you know what I mean? So, you know, you need that contrast. But that said... It doesn't just because you just because there might be necessary contrast just because you might need to do things you don't like and not necessarily things that are forced on you like you're told like like I remember my mom saying and and this is good advice but she told me as a kid like you know you're gonna have to like do things you don't like in life. You know you're gonna have to do things for other people you're gonna have to do things that you don't want to do. And that's important. You know, that's important advice. But it's not just things, things that are external to you that you have to do, like work for a boss you don't like or sit in the waiting room in order to see the doctor. It's not just things like that, but you also have to force yourself to do things you might not necessarily enjoy doing. It's also sort of an internal process as well as something you have to do to be a human in the world. Um, but all that said, you know, even though, you know, I'm saying here like, oh yeah, you know, maybe an important part of the process, definitely an important part of the process is that you have to create things you don't like in order to create things you do like. You have to sit down and draw and go, you know, I'm really not inspired. These lines look stupid. Uh, this is a waste of my time. You, you have to do that maybe in order to do things that you're proud of in other circumstances at other times. Um, but, uh, it doesn't change the fact that it's a waste of time. It's a necessary waste of time, maybe, but it doesn't actually change the fact that you're not doing anything worthwhile. And people are trying to chase that feeling that things are worthwhile. and they'll lie to themselves, you know they'll 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 try to tell themselves that what they're doing is worthwhile when it's not, especially when it's socially reinforced. You know, I I don't know if other people have had this experience, but I've certainly had the experience where I'm at an event or a party or something, and people are kind of pretending they give a shit, and then finally someone's like, you know, this sucks, and everyone's just like, you know what, I'm glad someone said it, and while it's good to have a positive mindset, sometimes you just need somebody to speak truth, truth to power, you know, like that, and just say, hey, you know, this actually sucks, we should leave. (laughs) You know, because people will get caught in this social delusion. And I'm not one of these people like I I hate hearing people call people sheep and that kind of thing. I don't see people that way. I choose not to see people that way. But that said, people will just go through the motions and they and there's a, a lot of social reinforcement that makes people think that's what they have to do. Is just endure, just hang out at this party where you're not having any fun. Pretend that you care. You know, there's so many things that make you do that. Pretend to care. Forced to care. And, I mean, that's something I go I go on and on about is just being forced to care. You know, with all the
1: social issues going on, there's so much. You're not, you have not properly expressed to me that you care about this subject.
0: You know, this forced concern. I think about how much time you might waste on that when you feel forced to care i mean look at when companies come out when corporations come out with these public statements about social issues that you know they don't care about you know they don't care about them but they feel forced to care and they're also forcing you to care and maybe some of them are telling some kind of truth maybe maybe one of these ceos actually is passionate about something but you know you can read it in their words you can tell just through their words alone they don't mean it. Um, anyway, just to circle back, though, to you know doing things that are worthwhile or not worthwhile. It's like you know if what you're doing is worthwhile or not. You really do know. If you clear a path for your uh, intuition to work, if you're self-aware at all, you know if what you're doing is worthwhile at all. And, and, I mean, that goes for your relationships with other people, too. It goes for every single thing you do where it's like if you're on a date... You know, because I've I've talked to a couple of people who have had uh, relationships go sour recently, not necessarily. I've I've talked to them recently, but they were talking to me about, you know, in one case a marriage, just in in another case, you know, just another uh, romantic situation. And a question I asked is I was like, you know, what was it? What was the actual. uh, Like, what did you like about her? And it's funny that people can't really answer that, and I, you know, it's the same for me. Like, there are people in my past who I, if, if you were to ask me, like, what did you like about her? what did you like about her? I could tell you exactly. But there are some people where, you know, I may not have spent a lot of time with them, but I, you know... It goes back to the incel thing. Like, you don't have to be an incel to be desperate. And when you're desperate for love, or something, or, or validation, or affection of some kind... It's amazing the hoops that you'll jump through in your own mind just to convince yourself that you're not wasting time and you're doing something worthwhile. But you can also psych yourself out, too, of course. You can psych yourself out and overthink those things as well if you really get into like the nitty-gritty of like, oh, well, uh, this, you don't want to overanalyze people either. But chances are you know. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Chances are you know if something is worthwhile or not. And worthwhile might not be pleasurable. It's like I talked about in the saying a Tinder prayer episode where it's like you might go on a trip and know that it's not going to be worthwhile in the way that people think, you know, like like going across halfway across the world to visit a girl that you barely know. That might not be worthwhile in some romantic comedy sense. And it might actually be a struggle. It might be a, there might be a lot of darkness to that adventure, but it's a necessary adventure. And that's what some people struggle with, is it's like there's a necessity to certain things that you do. And they might not be pleasurable. They might not be what other people consider self-care, which it turns out is just eating ice cream in the bathtub, which seems gross. It seems like the ice cream is going to melt quicker. With all, that, all, with all that heat rising from the bubble bath, your ice cream is going to melt a lot quicker. And you're going to be uh, just drinking, basically going be, gonna to be drinking sugary milk in the bathtub. And you're going to feel like shit. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not self-care in the sense that people use it. Sometimes what is necessary, often what is necessary, is not some kind of self-care.
1: And uh, just, uh, I'm just looking out the window here. I'm just looking out the window here. Looking out the window is self-care. Paranoia is self-care. If you Every time you hear a car door slam, if you don't look out the window, you're not participating in self-care. Self-care is keeping an eye out the window all the time.
0: You can make that argument. That sounds like self-care to me. Looking out for yourself, <laughs> keeping an eye on the neighborhood, that sounds like self care to me. Hypervigilance is self care. You can you know you can frame self care as anything, man. Um but uh where were we at there? I don't know, necessity. You know, things that are necessary, and I guess that gets back to the bucket list thing. And you know, most people's bucket lists aren't necessary. They're not necessary for their own development. They're not necessary for a life well lived. And yet people frame their lives in this way where if they don't do certain things, their life isn't complete. And maybe I'm making more out of these things than other people make them out to be, but I don't think that's true. I think people do put a lot of emphasis on these things one way or another i think people put a lot of emphasis on this way of thinking if it's not an actual bucket list you know even if somebody doesn't have a list of 10 things they have to do before they die you know even if they don't have that list written out they frame their life this way and it, and there's you know There's a balance to it because it's important to have things you want to do. It's important to have things you want to be. And maybe that's a better way of thinking about the idea of inhabiting something because I want to get back to that. You know, one of the reasons why I always use social media or as an example these days is because it is so obviously uncool and embarrassing in many ways to talk about, to participate in, although I don't feel that way about participating in it. You know, we know the way that it's framed. I mean, these these, these geniuses, these professors are writing books about how Social Meteor is tearing us apart. They're, oh, my God, who would have thought? Who would have thought? You know, because we didn't have any world wars before Social Meteor. Everything was just perfect. We didn't have Germanic tribes slitting each other's throats and chopping each other's heads off. You know, we didn't have Vlad the Impaler. We didn't have the Iraq War, you know. We did, Oh yeah, you know. We didn't. We didn't have genocide before social media. Or, oh, it's social media or that's tearing us apart. You know. I, I love when people just focus on a symptom. Social media is a symptom. It's a symptom of the universe, honestly. Because the universe can tear you apart too. But I mean, I think maybe the best comparison I could make is it's like, I live right next to the woods. The beautiful Washington woods. Aesthetically, that kind of nature is perfect. I don't think there's anything more beautiful to me than the Washington woods. But if I just marched out into the woods, especially at night, I might trip and I might fall and hit my face on a rock. If I don't bring the right mindset... If I don't bring the right supplies, I'm going to get really cold. It's winter. You know, if I go out into the woods in the middle of the night and I get lost, I might freeze. I'm going to be very uncomfortable. Let's not even go with the extremes of like, oh, if I walk out into the woods behind my house, I'm going to die. You know, let's not even go there with it. Let's just go with like, there's a high chance where if tonight at midnight, I walk back into the woods behind my house and I just keep going, there's a chance that I could make myself very uncomfortable. I might get scared. I'm, you know, I'm I'm not above being scared in the woods in the middle of the night, especially in woods like these where you know a little too close to town. Very well, might come across somebody in those woods. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I go back out into those woods, they're nature. They're beautiful. It's it's the epitome of beauty. That forest is the epitome of beauty, but yet if I go out there at midnight and I just wander around, like if I don't bring a jacket, if I don't bring a flashlight or some source of light, you know, in addition to the fact that I could hurt myself by falling or, you know, something to that effect, I could just make myself uncomfortable. I could get cold. I could get lost. I could get confused. I could get scared. And that's the most beautiful thing that I can imagine. It's the most beautiful example I can imagine is nature. But it still offers all of that. And that's not even including the fact that maybe I'd run into a bear or a cougar that'll rip my throat out like a German. Uh, but, uh, you know, I very well might run into that. And that's brutal. And yet we look at social media and we're like, oh, because some people resent each other and fight and don't get along. It's not natural and it's bad for us. It's like nature is bad for us. Organic wildlife is bad for us. And I don't know, I you know, I consider myself, you know, an environmentalist light, L-I-T-E. I consider myself an environmentalist light. But it's funny, like, knowing a lot of environmentalists because sometimes they exist in a fantasy world where it's like, Oh, nature is perfection. The natural world is the way everything should be. But it's like, well, if you believe that, you think that creatures should bite each other's throats. They should cause excruciating death just to eat something else raw. Animals should rape each other. Like, if you think nature is perfect, if you think nature is only good, you're ignoring all the rape and carnage that goes on constantly in nature. And if you're somehow putting nature above technology, which, I mean, it's kind of redundant because, you know, as I've explained on here, I see all technology. I see everything we encounter as nature. Everything that we encounter is nature. And having that mindset, it's not even a choice. It's just how I feel. That allows me to inhabit all of those things. The reason why I can use social media or with a minimum amount of stress is because I see it as just a natural function. It's a book. It's a TV. It's a phone. It's a shoe. It's 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 the rubber on, you know, on my tire. You know, I see that as all developments of nature and humans do things with nature. But we create a new nature. And in viewing it that way, I feel I can inhabit it in a pure way without you know obviously I still I still get resentful. I'm not without negativity. But you know what? I can go to the grocery store right now, and there is a chance that somebody there will piss me off. There is a chance that. Anywhere I go, I could go to a party with people I love, and there's a chance that somebody there could say something that pisses me off. Actually, there's a pretty good chance because familiarity breeds contempt. So there's a pretty good chance that I mean, my best friend could call me right now, and there's a chance that he could say something that makes me go, "Hey, fuck you!" Hey, 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 fuck you! You know, you know what I mean. So it's like there's always an opportunity. For resentment, for ill will, even if it's temporary, even if it's fleeting. So like if I go on social media or, there's a high chance, especially we're, we're given such a, a high dose of everybody's consciousness that there's a high chance I'm going to see something I don't like. But it's like going into the woods where it's like you go in with a certain set of tools. You go in knowing what you're going to be doing. You go in with a certain amount of deliberation, as, as people say, intention. You know why you're using it, you know, and I I think the problem is, is that people aren't conscious of it when they use these things. When someone looks at Twitter, when someone looks at Instagram, when they look at Facebook, when they look at whatever the next thing is, they go into that with this mindset of like, I'm bored. And even though these people are just expressing themselves on a medium that I'm choosing to look at. And not just choosing to look at, but choosing to follow them. I'm going to resent them for it. Even though I'm looking to be entertained by content, as they call it, from people I know. I'm going to resent them when they do produce content because I don't like it. Or, or I'm going to read into who they are. Oh, they're vain. They're so vain. Oh, they're so, they think they're this. Oh, that brings me down. And it's like you didn't go in with the right tools, and that's your fault. And I want to explain too I, I always use social media or as the example because it's so heavily criticized. It's so uncool to talk about it. Therefore, that's exactly what I want to talk about. Social media or is so uncool, and people are so high and mighty when they say, I'm not on Facebook. Oh, I, I deleted my Instagram. People like, they, they, they want a pat on the back for that. Uh, what's on my bucket list? My bucket list is to delete my Instagram, to delete my Facebook. And if I don't delete them before I die, my life's going to be not worth it. You know, it's that kind of thing where it's like, that is totally great to me. Like when the reason I talk about the, the reason I use social media or as it, it, the example is because it's the peak of modern communication right now, at least, And it's people think of it as so uncool, even though they're all on it. I mean, and this is a funny thing, too. I I know of three people, more, but I, I can think of three specific people who are good friends of mine. Four. No, actually, I can think of four specific people who, I guess, publicly claim they're not on social media. But secretly, they are. Like, they, they don't want to admit it. I know they are, but they, they're secretly on there. Uh, and, I mean, I even have a friend who's not who doesn't have an Instagram account, and he checks it probably more than I do. Like, occasionally we'll talk about social media, or, and he's always he's like, oh, I already saw that, or I saw this thing, and it's something I didn't even see, and I have an account. But he goes to these people's pages. He, he has to deliberately go to these pages. And I'm not knocking him. He's got his own system down. This isn't a criticism. But it's amazing to me that, like, even people who don't have accounts... I mean, it goes back to the Ted Kaczynski thing where it's like, if you want to be Ted Kaczynski and wall yourself off from modernity, you're going to be seeing modernity out of every window you look at. You're going to be the person who wouldn't sell your house to the developers when they were building a shopping mall. And you still have your house... But you're surrounded on all sides by a shopping mall with a busy street out in front of you. So while it's fun to be stubborn and be like, you know what, like I'm an 80 year old woman and I've lived in this house for 70 years, my daddy built this house. I'm not selling it to some shopping mall. Shopping mall. Um, While it's good to be stubborn and stand your ground, literally, you know, at some point you have to go. You know what? The shopping mall has been built. All around me and uh, you know is it gonna be better to stay in my house surrounded on every side like I'm looking out my window and I'm seeing people I'm I'm seeing FAO Schwartz FAO Schwartz up my ass you know it's it's you know it's, it, it, it's a trade-off it's very much a trade-off uh, so you could be that Ted Kaczynski who like oh I'm gonna go live a wizard's dream and like live in a cabin in the woods and be self-sustaining, but guess what? All I'm gonna think about is modernity and technology to the point where I'm sending bombs to CompUSA managers. You know, do you want to do that? You know, I think that's the the risk you run when you oppose modernity too much. You obsess over it. You're surrounded by it anyway. It's like somebody who's like, I don't, I don't let people take photos of me with their smartphones. I mean, I've been going through old photos that my mom took, uh, old photographs, like old, um, you know, on, you know, photo paper, whatever, you know, like developed photos from back in the day. And I'm always just looking at people in the background. I'm like, look at that guy. Like they were taking a photo in a restaurant and that guy's sitting at a table making this face. And, you know, now that's been amplified exponentially where think about how many times you're in the background of someone's photo. So it's like, even if you don't have a smartphone, even if you don't let people take photos of you, like, chances are you're in the background, you know? So it's, it's inescapable. And so all you can do is try to inhabit that in a pure way. But I would never say, like, you need to get on social media, or if you're not on social media, or you're not participating in nature. I would never say somebody has to do that. I only defend that, and I only try to explain it Maybe not explain it, but describe it. I try to, you know, I don't want to explain. If you you listen to this show, you know how I feel about explanations. I try, I'm simply trying to describe what social media actually is in defense of it in a way. But I would never say somebody has to use it. I would never say, oh, you have to be on social media. You're not expressing yourself. You're not being a, a true modern human if you're not on there. No, I think it's great if you're not on there. I think it's great if you don't need it. But I don't think you should be high and mighty and think that somehow you're existing in a more natural state because we manage to create new dimensions of nature continually. It's what we do. It's like saying, I'll never read a book because I believe in oral storytelling. I believe in the oral tradition. And something is lost when you put something down on paper. Somebody could make that same argument, and people have. You hear people say that. You hear these like quasi primitivists who are like, "Oh, you know, like things were better when tribes just told stories out loud. Uh, you know, books ruined that. The printing press. Well, you know, people you can criticize all these things because they're all they're all different steps on the same the same stairway." And uh but but I would never say that you have to participate. Like there are things I don't participate in. There are many things I don't participate in. There are many modern things I don't participate in, but I still see them as a dimension of nature. And maybe that's a better way to look at it, is these are different dimensions of nature. And I, I just I wouldn't know how to differentiate any dimension of nature from any other, even though there are some that are more organic and more aesthetically pleasing. Because, yeah, duh. Duh, a forest is far more beautiful than an internet app. Yeah, a forest is more beautiful than a website. But in the same way, I wouldn't say like, oh, you have to be on social media or, or you're not a true human. I wouldn't say you have to go out into the forest in at midnight or you're not a true human. You know, I would never say that. I would never say you have to go in the forest. If you don't go in the forest, you're not a person. You know, I would never force someone to do that. Even though there's something to be said for getting out into traditional nature, you know, I would never say that somebody has to do it. I think you can find your peace in many different ways. I think you can find your value in many different ways. I think you can do worthwhile things anywhere and everywhere, as long as you are existing in a pure state, because that's what I'm getting at. You have to be in a pure state when you use these things. You know, I mean, I've had experiences where I got into the woods For a walk, and I'm not in a pure state. Maybe I'm preoccupied. Something bad happened with a girl, and I'm just sitting there in my own brain. And I'm not actually experiencing the woods. I'm not. I'm not in a pure state. I'm tainted in some way, and that taint extends to the experience. Hear me whistle. uh, That taint extends to the experience of walking through the woods. Um. And if I see somebody in the woods, I might be annoyed. I might be like, oh, God, I don't want to have to say hi to this person. You know, you get into that sort of mindset. So it's like if you're in the wrong state of mind, even out in nature, it can greatly impact how you interact with nature because you're not actually inhabiting it. Even though your physical body is there, you're not actually inhabiting it. You're going because you're anxious and distracted and thinking about something else. And the woods might bring you back. The woods might you know, temper you. They might temper your reality in a good way. But still, it's like you can still go there and have it be a waste of time or not a worthwhile experience. So uh, that's going to especially be true with technology. I mean, it's, in my opinion, it's more likely true with technology. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not an idiot about this stuff. Like, I don't think these things are as cool As what grows out of the ground. Aesthetics are very important to me. You know. Organic. Natural aesthetics. Traditionally natural aesthetics. Are important to me. And I put those. I rank those at a higher value. I like the primordial. I will always prefer. Something that is in its primordial form. For the same reason that like. I will prefer. You know. It's the same reason I prefer, like, people who did something first. You know, if I'm going to listen to a metal band, there's a good chance, unless somebody was tr- is truly unique or original, unless they exist in a pure state of their own, there's a strong chance that I'm going to prefer the people who did it first. The originals. You know, and, and there's just something, it's going to sound better. It came from a much more pure place. You know, and that's kind of how I feel. I mean, it could be black metal or something where it's like, I'm going to prefer something that's from the early 90s. You know, that's going to be the sweet spot, early, mid 90s. Chances are that is going to be my ultimate preference. Doesn't mean that's what I listen to all the time, but that is going to be my ultimate preference. Does that mean I won't listen to something from 2009? Or 2021? No, it doesn't mean I won't listen to that. But I'm going to I'm gonna look at that thing from 2021 the same way that I'm going to look at social media. And I'm going to say, this is still pure. It's still good. It's still nature. But it's not the original. Because the original nature is the trees growing out of the ground. And maybe that's not even the original. Because you know, at some point, the trees didn't even exist. And maybe there was some amoeba who said, like, I liked it more without trees. Because that kind of gets into the idea of, like, climate change and all of that. And, you know, while I believe we should not do things that destroy the earth, I think we should also also condition our minds to appreciate any outcome. As long as we're not burning to death. As long as our skin isn't falling off of our bodies I think that we should be like, you know what, if we have to live in a world... If we don't have a choice, how are we supposed to feel about the earth after climate change? Are we supposed to just hate it? If we can't reverse course, if we can't stop you know, the destruction of the natural world, if we can't stop the burning of the forests? if this turns out to be something that we contribute to but can't control... Or if it did turn out to be something that was beyond our control, is is our only option just to hate life and be like, oh, we couldn't stop climate change, so we can't possibly appreciate the Earth for what it is? Like, I don't want to live on a post-apocalyptic desert planet because this is what I know. I was talking about my love for the forest. I don't want to live on a post-apocalyptic desert planet. That's not my preference. There's a beauty to that. There's a beauty to a Martian landscape. But it's not my preference. But if that's our only choice, is is our only choice then to hate it and be like, oh, because people say like, oh, your great great grandchildren, we gotta we gotta save the earth for our great great grandchildren, which is a noble thought. But it's like, shouldn't we also condition our great great grandchildren to learn how to? appreciate and find harmony no matter what the state of the earth is even if it is on its way out because as above so below we die our planet probably dies our universe might very well die so shouldn't we be trying to learn to accept that shouldn't we accept that and that's where spirituality and religion comes in and for me that's not something I forced on myself to cope with these things it's just a, a, a helpful byproduct that, oh, hey, in having certain beliefs, and ha- in, in having these experiences, in seeing the world this way, in experiencing the world the way I do, I no longer look at the earth and think, like, it
1: has to stay the same forever. It has to stay the same forever. It has to stay exactly
0: as it is at this moment forever, or it's going to suck for everybody forever. There's no way to live here. And, it, you know, if, if the earth is eventually, uh, you know, a, a desolate, you know, Martian desert planet, desolate desert planet, you know, if it does become that and, and there's still life on earth, does that mean life is meaningless? Does that mean there's no way to appreciate it? I don't know. It might be miserable. It might be difficult. It'll probably be more difficult. Uh, especially if it gets worse and worse. Like, oh, the planets are dying and we can't do anything about it. But you can do something about how you feel about that. You can accept that. And when you accept that, well, hey, now you have a, a much larger range of motion. And you can do what you can to stop more destruction from happening. You can look at it objectively. You can try to preserve and conserve. You should. I think you should. I try to. But that said, you should also—the you can. The thing is you can do both, and they're not contradictory— Because, like, if I were to say to some of the science people I know, some of like the cultists—I call them cultists—people in the cult of science who, you know, stick a microscope down the front of their pants to get themselves off, you know, like those people. uh, If I were to say to them, "Oh, you should learn to to accept the death of the planet. You should try to condition your mind to accept the fact that this planet could be." very well might be dying. And all your favorite animals might be gone someday. All the beautiful forests might be gone someday. And even if humans are, well, whether humans are or aren't the cause, you should just learn to accept that potential fate. People would say, oh, you're a denier. And it's like, no, I'm not a denier. They would say, oh, well, how can you possibly say that we should try to prevent this while also accepting it? There's no contradiction there. This gets into the idea of, like, people create these contradictions that are complete nonsense. If you're a fully formed human being with a functioning brain, you can hold those two thoughts together. And they'll probably actually make you a more helpful person. They'll probably make you inhabit this world in a much more whole way. You will be a part of the wholeness in a much more whole way yourself, if you can hold those two ideas at the same time where yeah I want to do what we can do to destroy the planet less and preserve and conserve this planet as it is because it's beautiful but I can also accept the possibility that this planet could be dying whether it's by our hand which is pretty egotistical we're destroying the planet because we do everything everything is because of us everything is because of us you know Pretty, a lot of hubris to that. The idea that we are responsible for the death of the planet. We are the only ones responsible. Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe we are contributing to it. I think we are. But maybe the planet's also just on its way out. Maybe that's what happens. We we have other examples. We see planets. Mars is is an example. We believe there may have been more life there. That might be the fate of a planet. There might be cycles. I mean, maybe there's a reason why all of these apocalyptic mythologies, all of these apocalyptic scenarios that appear in so many different scriptures across the entire world, maybe there's a reason why many of them involve the world being wiped out and then regrowing. Maybe it's not as simple as the planet's dead and it's dead forever. And does that help you cope with it more? To think that, oh, even if we can accept the possibility... That all life on earth will be wiped out and the planet will no longer be. Well, maybe there's a possibility that it regrows. But be in the moment, dude. Well, the moment might be something that takes eons. It might take eons to see the bigger picture of that cycle. I mean, if you only saw yourself go to bed at night, you might be like, he died. He's dead. But then you wake up in the morning and you've been able to see that cycle throughout your entire life. You know that when you go to sleep, you're going to wake up in the morning, in most cases. You know that that's going to happen. But if you didn't see that, if that happened on a much larger scale, a time frame that you couldn't actually witness, where you're going to bed, the earth is going to bed, but you're not going to live, nobody you know is going to live to see it wake up again, to see it regrow. You know, you'd have an entirely different idea of how all this works. So that's something to keep in mind when we get into these big ideas like climate change, the death of a planet. And you can find peace, you can find harmony with both ideas, because I think they actually aid each other. If the planet is going to die, even temporarily, if the planet is going to die even temporarily, I think you can appreciate that planet more and be in greater harmony with that planet and, and everything beyond the planet, the wholeness that goes well beyond the planet. You know, I think that your relationship to what it is to be a human being on this planet is only enhanced by your desire to protect it and conserve it and love it and not have it go up in flames. But, uh, you know, I, I think that your desire to do that, your desire to protect it, to conserve it, you know, to limit the amount of human destruction that takes place on this planet, that can only be helped by the balance of also accepting that it might be an inevitability, too. Because that's going to balance your emotions out. And you're not going to be this 14-year-old girl screaming at people. You know, and I'm not out to attack her. Um, Greta Van Thunderberger, You know, I'm not out to attack her. I don't believe in attacking children. I really don't. Um, But she's just an example. She's a great example of like... Adults act the same way. She's a symbol. She, she represents how people feel. I don't think that's really the right way to communicate it. I don't think that gets the message across. That gets the message across to people who already agree. People who already agree with you like when you express yourself in anger.
1: Because it's like, that. yeah, that's how I feel. Greta Van Thunderburger, that's how I feel.
0: You know, that, like people like it when someone like that yells at people because they're like, yeah, that gets the message across. But you don't understand that the people who don't feel that way, the people who don't agree, they're not convinced by that. They're not convinced by a little girl yelling at them. So that's something to consider. And it's, it should give you even more incentive to find some sort of acceptance that, hey, maybe all of this goes away no matter what. Because we know that we individually do. Even though we go to sleep and we wake up, there'll be a day where we go to bed and we don't wake up. What do we do with that? Oh, my bucket list. No, you want to go to bed tonight not feeling like you left anything on the table. And that that's going to mean unfinished business. You, know, it, it, you can't possibly live a life of contentment and die without some unfinished business. Maybe somebody somewhere has done it. Maybe they're very old. But chances are there's some unfinished business. I mean, I was going through an old folder. And I found all these unfinished drawings from probably like 2008 through 2011. And some of them were really cool. I was like, dang. Like I, I was doing something really cool on a whim one day. And I never sat back down and, and finished that. I was doing something worthwhile in that moment, and I never finished the dang drawing. I'm never going to go back and finish those, though. I wouldn't be able to do it, and I kind of like them as they are. And this isn't some, oh, the real art is always unfinished. You know, this isn't something like that, but I was just looking at those, and I was like, oh, this is a bunch of unfinished business, and it would have been really cool to have finished these. But that was a long time ago now. I'm not in the the same headspace. Whatever like micro-technique I was using to do that on that drawing, I wouldn't be able to recreate that now. I don't want to get into some mindset of revisionism. It is what it is. I just have to continue to create things that I like. I have to create new things that I'm proud of. But it was interesting finding all these unfinished things. I'm just like, why didn't I continue working on that? unfinished business I I still have I have new unfinished business I have unfinished business right here right now and I don't think you can live a life that you value I don't think you can live a valuable life without leaving some kind of unfinished business but that's not a bucket list it just means that you made use of your time without obsessing over time without obsessing over the moment you inhabited whatever it was you were doing you inhabited your day when you decided to express yourself on social media or you inhabited that in that moment. And there's nothing to be ashamed about inhabiting that in that moment. There's nothing to be ashamed about inhabiting Microsoft Word when you're writing a story. Like my best childhood friend Nick, you know, he, he's a writer and he, he sent me a new short story the other day in the form of like a, a Microsoft Word document. Am I going to turn around and say, hey, you should print this out no, no, you, you, you know what you need to do? You need to print this out, run it through a Xerox machine so it looks all rough and cool, and mail it to me, and then I'll read it. You think I'm going to say that? It doesn't matter. He inhabited that. He sat there in Microsoft Word, and he wrote a short story, and he emailed it to me. And he, I, I know this guy very well. I've known him for 30 years he inhabited Microsoft Word while he was writing that story. He inhabited his email when he emailed that file to me. I inhabited that story when I was reading it. Is it cool to say, oh, my friend inhabited Microsoft Word one night? I don't know. It's not uncool to me. To me, it's not uncool. It might not be as aesthetically cool. I mean, he also has a typewriter. I, that, I should have said that. I should have said like, you know what, dude? You know, even though you wrote this in Microsoft words, even though you wrote this in Microsoft words, uh, you should really retype it on your typewriter so I can get the right feeling. You got to give me that aesthetic. You got to to make this. Uh, it's all about me, you know. It, no, he didn't need to do that because he inhabited that story as he wrote it in Microsoft Word and he sent it to me and I read it in the form of a doc file on my computer and I inhabited that story just as much as I would anything else. Is, is Microsoft Word the ideal way to read a published story? No, of course not. He would agree with that. You know, a short story, if it's published, if it's presented to the world, it's probably better off in a book. Not a PDF file, not on a Kindle. You know, as I like to invoke, my my buddy John in England uh, reminded me of the Kindle joke. Which is, you know, there's that famous John Waters quote, which is, uh, if you go to someone's house and they don't have books, don't fuck them. And my version of that. That I've referenced on here is if you go to someone's house and they don't got a Kindle, don't fuck them. And that joke, honestly, not to analyze my own jokes, but it's like that joke is this. That joke is what I'm talking about. Like you might as well say oh, if you don't, if you don't, if you if you go to someone's house and they don't have a typewriter, don't fuck them. If you go to someone's house and they don't have Microsoft Word, don't fuck them. It's all about what you inhabit. And yeah, I will say that a story is better served published in a book, I have not seen a better format, a better medium for the written word than a book. And some books look cooler than others. I mean, there's books that you order, and you can tell that they were printed on demand. And even though you're holding a physical book, there's like some kind of, it might as well look like something you printed on your desk jet printer, you know. And so it's like an older book is going to look cooler. You know, even in the world of books. Of books as the preferable medium to read stories in, an older book is going to be aesthetically more beautiful in most cases. But again, it comes back to you inhabit it as the reader. The writer inhabits it as they're writing, no matter where they're writing it. Like I don't think my, you know, I don't think my friend's story should be shared with the world through a Microsoft Word document. Like, I don't think that his story should be published by people sending a Microsoft Word email to each other through email. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't think that that's how his story should be published. I think there's a, a certain way that things should be finalized. I think certain things have their time and place. It's, like, it's how I feel about music. Like, even though I'm totally comfortable listening to music, to even putting my own work online in digital format, even though I'm totally comfortable with that, I still think that music is best presented on CD, LP, or cassette. I still think that those three formats are the preferable way to present music. But I'm not opposed to digital music. I just don't think it's the ideal way to publish it. Or if if you do publish it online, as I have, it's in addition to the physical medium. But it's sort of like the, the death of the earth. Like, if we can no longer listen to CDs, LPs, and cassettes, if we can no longer produce LPs, CDs, and cassettes, I'm not going to grieve over it. If all the forests burn, I'm not going to let my life be ruined by that. And some, and even saying that, somebody would be like, oh, like you're, so you're a denier, huh? No, clearly I'm not denying it if I think the forests are burning but I'm willing to accept whatever happens. And I don't say that in some Job sense where it's like God, make my life miserable. Oh, I'm so pious and happy. You know, uh, make my life more difficult. I don't want my life any more difficult. I want you know, I don't I don't want my life to be any more difficult. But I what I will say is if we look at pretty much as far as our human lives go, like what is the absolute worst case scenario? It's to live a miserable life on a Martian desert planet with all the forests burned and the rivers dried up. Am I going to let myself hate life, even if it's a struggle under those circumstances? No. Am I going to hate music if some, for some reason we can't listen to it on physical formats anymore? No. There's a preferable way to live life. There's a preferable way to listen to music. There's a preferable way to live on Earth. You know, we have our preferences, but I think you also have to accept other outcomes. And you can inhabit that too. You can live a pure life on a desolate Martian desert planet with no CDs or LPs or cassettes. Because you're not going to have any CDs or LPs when you're on that desolate post-Earth planet. And that's okay. That's okay with me. It's not preferable, but you can
1: learn to live with it. You can learn to accept it. Uh, what do you mean? You don't have any Desert Island discs? To, oh, no. I'm on a Desert Island, and I don't have any Desert Island albums to bring with me. Good luck.
0: Oh, I couldn't bring my top 10 favorite albums with me to a desert island that I was marooned on. Life sucks. Well, you're going to find something to do. Inhabit that island. You You can still inhabit that desert island even without your favorite album. You just have to learn how to do it. You can still inhabit the earth even without beautiful forests around. While also trying to preserve that forest. And celebrate that forest. You can do all of that. You can find that balance. And you might always have to work for it. I do. I always have to work for it. Somebody else might tell you. I know you. Take the pill. Go to therapy. And eat ice cream in the bathtub. And worry about everything. You think that's going to stop you from worrying? Take the pill. Go to therapy. Hang out in the bathtub every night with a a tub full of ice cream, and that'll help you stop worrying about climate change. No, that person's worried all the time about climate change. That person who's focused on self-care, taking the pill, going to therapy, eating ice cream in the bathtub, they're probably still sitting there thinking, oh my god, climate change. You know, they're probably sitting there screaming inside about that, even doing that. So I don't do that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. And uh, am I better off for it? I don't know. I can only preach what I need. Just like the person who takes the pill. I mean, I'm going through the, I keep saying it. What's
1: your, what's on your uh, bucket list? Oh, taking the pill, going to therapy, and eating ice cream in the bathtub. That's my bucket list.
0: You know, if that's what works for you, you know, preach what you need. I can't take that away from anybody else. If that works for you, I would never take that away. I would never tell you not to do that. I don't believe in telling people what works for them or what doesn't work for them because I'm not them. But people have to understand that when I say what works for me, it's not at the expense of anyone else. Even though I'm confident and adamant about it and still have a lot of work to do, still have a lot of work to do. There, there are places where I want to get that I'm not at now, but I can tell you that if I go to bed tonight and I don't wake up, while there might be unfinished business, while there might be places that I haven't been and things I haven't done, I don't feel that I've wasted anything. If the, planet, if the, if the lights get turned out on the planet tonight, I don't feel that I left anything on the table that wasn't meant to be sitting out anyway. You know what I mean? And I think you have to live your life that way. And I try to live my life in a way where I can continue to feel this way and preserve this feeling. And that doesn't mean I don't get stressed out. That doesn't mean I don't get anxious. But I have dedicated my life to this. And it feels, here's that word, natural. Natural. <laughs>
1: I see a land where children can run free. So take.